0: On today's episode, we're going to talk about navigating finances after losing a spouse, some strategies and mistakes to avoid. Obviously, losing a spouse is an unimaginably tough life event for those who haven't been through it before, and the financial implications can add another layer of stress to the whole grieving process. And so in today's episode, we're going to delve deep into the most common financial issues people face uh, when they become widows and widowers, from dealing with income gaps to navigating tax changes as a single filer. We're also going to explore some actionable strategies that you can use to address these problems. We're going to talk about the importance of life insurance. And the ins and outs of spousal pension continuation. This is the episode for you if you're concerned with maybe ensuring the financial well being of the remaining family members uh, that you might leave behind and safeguarding your own financial future and legacy in the face of a loss. Tough conversation, but an important one coming up on today's edition of Reengineering Your Finances. time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Great to have you back for another episode. Walter Storholt here with Charles Weldy, founder of CP Weldy Group, a CPA and certified financial planner. Charles, what's going on in your world today?
1: Uh, not too much. I mean, uh, we're coming up to the Labor Day weekend, so I'm looking forward to going down the Jersey Shore for you know the last weekend of the summer. Uh, And then, I guess, uh, 10 days from now, the Eagle season starts, so uh, life is good.
0: (laughs) Glad to hear that, Charles, and uh, it sounds like going down to the shore will be a treat for sure, and uh, look forward to hearing how that goes for you, and if you uh, let us, give us a report when you get back from the vacation, let us know how it went. Uh, Got a great conversation today, as I said, a tough one, but an important one, and uh, I want to dive into this in a few moments here, but before we get to kind of the crux of the conversation, I mean... How often is this coming up these days I know our life expectancies are a lot longer than they used to be even just you know maybe two decades ago and especially from you know earlier on in uh, the previous century but um, how often are you dealing with folks who are either coming to you for the first time having lost a spouse or it happens while they're working with you Is this a pretty common occurrence that you're dealing with?
1: Yeah, I would say it's not super common, but, you know, if truth be told, yesterday a woman came into my office, it was a referral, and she lost her husband, and basically, you know, we're uh, you know, she has a tax situation that we're handling and then we're going to do a financial plan for her. So I would say that, you know, it probably happens in my practice at maybe a half a dozen times a year where uh, someone will, le- will lose their spouse, whether it's uh, an existing client or someone that's referred to us by, you know, one of our existing clients. So it's, it's fairly common, I would, I would think
0: kind of those two angles that happen. Somebody that meets with you probably born out of the need, like that example that you just shared of someone who was just in the office um, with this exact situation, that, that sort of inspires them to go meet with an advisor to say, all right, I need to check in financially, and those who are then doing proactive planning. And we'll kind of hit on both sides of that of those scenarios in the show today. But let's start, since you mentioned it, uh, Charles, with that kind of first scenario, Um, people who lose their spouse come to you wanting to be sure they're in good shape financially. What are some of the problems that you tend to uncover for folks who are in that situation?
1: Well, I mean, I think the first thing is like, uh, A lot of people really don't know what they're spending on a monthly basis. So, you know, when someone loses a spouse, you know, if they can figure out what, you know, they were spending and, you know, that's usually like, you know, they kind of know what they were spending by just looking at the revenue coming in and, uh, you know, what's going out. And then basically, do they have any extra money left over at their Social Security and pension? They can determine like, hey, when two people were alive, were we saving, were we just breaking even or were we dipping into our retirement plans? But when one spouse passes away, as a general rule, they don't have to spend like what they were spending when two people were alive. Because obviously, you know, if they're both driving, you've got one car now, you've got, you know, maybe like one meal instead of two meals, that type thing. So costs might be 85 percent. I use that as a general rule. Whatever your costs were when you were married, we multiply it by 85 percent to just get an idea of what your income you know, need will be, you know, upon, you know, uh, the death of your spouse. So that's number one. Number two is like, you know, we've got to factor in the fact that, you know, a Social Security check is going to be lost because that's the rules. When one spouse dies, they look at both Social Security checks and the Social Security check that is the least disappears. And now you're you have the, you know, the higher the two uh, Social Security benefits. And really the most critical thing, I believe, especially in the year of death, is that uh, that's the last year that you're going to be allowed to file a joint return. So what we try to do is we try to determine like, hey, does it make sense for this you know surviving spouse to file, the joint return, the last joint return, you know, he or she will file uh, because their spouse just passed away earlier in the year. Uh, should we do some Roth conversions? I mean, you know, uh, when you look at the tax brackets, uh, they're going to be paying. Their, the surviving spouse is going to be paying a lot more tax on the same income than they would have paid if they filed a joint return. So that's really the last opportunity to maybe do a strategic Roth conversion and pay the least amount of tax and maybe move some of that money from pre-tax to tax-free so that there's more flexibility for the surviving spouse later on in retirement. So they're really the, The the biggest issues is, hey, what are you spending? What income is coming in? And then lastly, like, hey, you know, what's the tax consequences? You know, can we like do some last minute tax planning before, you know, 1231, the year of death?
0: Let's talk a little more about that income gap. Is there I I mean, we've talked about how you solve that on the show before, and it never hurts to have a reminder there. But is there anything different about solving the income gap for a widow or widower versus a normal situation?
1: Well I mean, you know generally speaking like uh, if there's pensions, uh, there's not a lot of pensions going around nowadays, but I do remember a case maybe about five years ago where one of my clients, uh, his spouse, obviously they were both clients, but the spouse worked for a governmental agency. She was a teacher and she had the opportunity to take a pension. Or a lump sum. She opted for the pension, and for the most part, the pension. I'm just going to make up a number, but you know, let's just say it was like three thousand dollars a month. Was her pension single life only, uh, and she wanted to do that. And she came in with her and her husband. Hey, what should we do? And you know, she was like really keen on taking the pension. So I didn't really. Spend time showing her the advantages, disadvantages of pension versus creating her own pension, but we looked at the numbers. It was three thousand a month for her single life only, and if she added her husband uh, in, in the event that she passed away, who would have gotten, I think, uh, up to seventy-five percent of her pension, she would only get twenty-eight hundred bucks a month. So she said, Charles, I want the three thousand. And i said hey you know what i mean obviously you know it's your decision but if i was your husband i would do my best to make sure that my name was added to that in the event that you passed prematurely because it's only 200 a month and she was hemming and hauling and at the end of the conversation the husband agreed to pay her 200 a month for the rest of his life just to add him to her pension benefit so That's one thing that I see, a lot of things that I see, uh, they do add the spouse, but, you know, maybe it's 50% instead of 75% or 100%. And that's really a critical decision because once you make it, it's irrevocable. Uh, So I would say that, you know, when you have the chance for spousal continuation on pensions, you really got to do your homework and crunch the numbers. And probably more times than not, you know, it pays to add that spouse, you know, unless there's a you know, a major health consideration for the, uh, you know, for the uh, second spouse. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. And certainly yeah. a lot of attention is going to be paid to that to that spouse and this whole problem with the income gap. And uh, once you make sure that that spouse is taken care of, though, I imagine the conversation shifts a little bit. We can start focusing on other family members. Maybe this is where, um, you know, kind of planning for the loss of a spouse also turns into estate planning a little bit where you broaden things out. What about the kids and grandkids? Are there common mistakes that you see people make on this front when they want to then, you know, obviously help the rest of the family?
1: Well, I mean, one of the mistakes I see a lot is when I review beneficiary designations, I I find that um, most people have the primary listed, but they don't have the contingent beneficiaries listed. And uh, primary, obviously, like, hey, when I pass away, it goes to my spouse. My uh, contingents are my three kids, in in my example. But what I find is most people just have the primary beneficiaries listed, and they don't take the time to list the contingents. So a quick fix, an easy fix, is to add the word per-stirpes, P-E-R, and the second word, stirpes, S-T-I-R-P-E-S, next to the name of the primary beneficiary which means that upon you know, their death, like their share would go to their kids equally. So that's a quick fix. Some people like all kids to be named you know, just to make sure, but you know, to make a long story short, per stirpes is really, a, most people like their retirement money to go to their grandkids, if something happened to their children, and by adding those two words, it's, it's uh, irrevocable that it will go to those grandkids. Uh, and most people neglect that, And, you know, earlier in my career, I was coached by a gentleman that said, hey, why is it that the advisors get the name right, the social security right, the date of birth right, the address right, but they don't spend an extra minute asking the people if like your primary beneficiary predeceased you, would you want their share to go to their kids? And most people who have grandkids want their share to go to their grandkids. And that's really one of the biggest mistakes that I see when I review uh, uh, beneficiary designations is they don't have the words per stirpes Mm -hmm. where nine out of 10 people, that's what they really want.
0: All right, let's put a bow on this conversation, Charles, and before we do, if you've got any questions about how to best prepare for uh, what will happen one day if you're you're married and uh, you're worried about what's going to happen to your spouse or you are the spouse that's worried what's going to happen to you if your other spouse passes uh, if your spouse passes away. I mean, this is a two-way street here of uh, of concern. Uh, if that's you and you don't have a financial plan that as Charles just mentioned, so many people overlook some of these important parts of the planning process, even something as simple as beneficiaries designations has big consequences down the line. Make the right choices on these things. And so if you're not working that into your plan now, talk to Charles about it. You can call 610-388-7705 to begin a conversation today, or go online to cpweldygroup.com. That contact info is in the description of today's show. We get a lot of questions from people, Charles, about trusts, and whether they were a good idea for preserving family wealth and do people even need them in the first place? What's your take on, uh, on kind of that world of, of trusts and that sort of thing?
1: So I got, I got really like, um, my opinion is this, there's really two types of trust. There's revocable and there's irrevocable. So let's talk about revocable. Revocable, you know, basically just says, hey, you know, I'm the trustee of my own trust. You know, I have an EI number. I get taxed the same way but I'm gonna avoid probate on my death because I have a trust and the trust avoids probate. So years ago, that was a big deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal today. I think it's really a nuisance to have a a revocable trust. That's just my professional opinion. You know, other advisors might not agree with me, but I think where people could really benefit uh, from a wealth transfer point of view, provided that they have enough assets, is setting up an irrevocable trust. And what that means, Walter, is like, hey, when I fund that irrevocable trust with assets, there's no strings attached. I really can't, for the most part, pull any money back, you know, into my estate. I've really like irrevocably gifted that to the next generation, and uh, I see that being really an important like planning strategy. Because recently, I had a woman, 92 years old, come into my office. I've done her taxes for years. She was with Charles Schwab. Love Charles Schwab. We were with TD Ameritrade, but it's funny, TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab are merging as I speak. Well, she came in about, I guess, about six weeks ago, two months ago, and basically said, Look, you know, Charles, I'm not happy with uh, my person at Schwab. I'm wondering if you could help me out. And I said, Mary, I said, You know, I'll definitely help you out, but we got to do a plan first. So we did a plan. She paid a fee. And basically, by doing the plan, I discovered, like, hey, this woman has. $2.5 million, she's 92 years old, she lives in the state of Pennsylvania, she's not gonna spend it all. Uh, If we set up an irrevocable trust where we took, just round numbers, one million of her $2.5 million and put it in a trust for the benefit of her kids and grandkids, we just saved the family 4.5% of a million dollars, $45,000 in Pennsylvania inheritance tax. So she loved the idea. She's like, you know, seeing a lawyer now, the paperwork's being drawn up. You know, that's like for moving money from one pocket to the other, saving $45,000, knowing that if she died tomorrow, she'd want it to go to her children and grandchildren. That's just like great planning. So that opened my eyes to like, hey, maybe, I haven't been using irrevocable trust that much in my planning. Now I'm more open-minded to like, hey, at least educating the clients on the benefits you know, of you know, setting up an irrevocable trust. Yeah, there's disadvantages. Once you do it, for the most part, no strings attached. You can't, for the most part, pull the money back. But the reality of it is, for a lot of people that have a lot of wealth, to avoid you know, estate taxes or inheritance taxes, that, that could be a great solution.
0: All great points on today's episode. Uh, No tough subject to uh, approach. A lot of people don't even want to talk about this, Charles, but uh, it's so helpful if we can address things ahead of time. Be proactive in this planning. Yeah, there are still things that can be done after a spouse passes to adjust the plan, figure out new directions forward, but you can really set yourself up for a little bit easier time dealing with all of that fallout with some pre-planning. So uh, no matter which side you're on, whether it's getting ready in a In advance of this eventuality, or if it's recently happened to you and you need a new direction forward, Charles will help you no matter where your beginning point is. The number to call to get in touch and set up that time to chat and start going through your situation is 610 388 7705 and also online at cpweldygroup.com. Charles, thanks for the help on the show today. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Walter.
0: All right, we'll catch up with Charles again soon. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time right back here on Reengineering Your Finances. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in the state of Ohio. CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice. Insurance and tax services offered through CP Weldy Group are not affiliated with PCA. Information received from this podcast should not be viewed as individual investment advice. Product discussions and illustrations are hypothetical in nature and will vary based on many factors, including, but not limited to, age, health, product, insurance carrier, and product design. You should consult the insurance carrier website and policy for detailed information. Content may have been created by a third party and was not written or created by a PCA-affiliated advisor and does not represent the views or opinions of PCA or its subsidiaries. For information pertaining to the registration status of PCA, please contact the firm or or refer to the Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. For additional information about PCA, including fees and services, send for our disclosure statement as set forth on Form ADV from PCA using the contact information herein. Please read the disclosure statement carefully before you invest or send money.